Old Testament reading and sermon passages from Psalm 7. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest, like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there's wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O oh, righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Our New Testament reading is from Romans 14. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Another good morning to you. It's good to be with you all this summer morning. I uh, hope you're you enjoyed your 4th of July celebrations. Uh, seems like there, is, there are some up north, particularly our little ones seem to be on trips. And it's good to be with you at this little reprieve in the middle of summer uh, after the holiday there. Uh, I'm Clay, one of the pastors here. And as of Jamie's sabbatical, the only pastor here. Wahaha. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that. Don't expect too much craziness. It's not like uh, Jamie was holding me back from joking around up here, right? Uh, but I, I'm one of the pastors. A delight to be uh, with you, uh, paying attention to God's word, hearing what he has to say. We're in a series through the Psalms this summer, uh, looking at uh, just the first 15. We're just going right through the Psalms. Uh, we come to Psalm 7, a Psalm of Judgment. Everybody's favorite topic. Uh, and uh, this, as we've been looking at some of the significance of David, what was going on in his life, this one is far less certain. The interpretations uh, vary. So it says uh, Shagayan, a liturgical term, 
of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. No one knows who that is. Um, a Benjaminite is the tribe of Saul, so it could be one of Saul's buddies. Uh, there's another idea that perhaps this is Hushai, a character that you find defending David later on in his life, which would be a, a wildly different context. We're not certain, uh, but we, we do know this. It's about someone who's uh, suffering righteously. It's about someone who is on the receiving end of some kind of abuse, of perhaps slander, of uh, they're, they're not being treated fairly. Um, and they're, they're demanding, this is David demanding, judgment. Again, that's not really our favorite thing to talk or think about, uh, but it is something that we see as needed. And so I've divided this into five points, and you know, how dare I do this? This much. Surely Jamie would have put a stop to this if he were here. Uh, you know, this is a violation of the Book of Armaments, uh, chapter four, which stipulates the number of the sermon points shall be three, and three shall be the number of the sermon points. You shall not preach two sermon points, excepting that they'll then proceed to three. You shall not preach four sermon points. Five is right out, right? If you get the reference here, that's for you. I'm just going to leave that there. Uh, but uh, five points, uh, because I was unable to whittle it down further. Uh, there's a lot of different things happening with judgment. There's a lot of steps it's walking through. There's a lot of moments that David is happen having with judgment. And as I was looking at this, I, I was thinking it's, it sort of outlines a process that we actually need to go through with judgment. Uh, and wh where it leads to is that God is the righteous judge. And therefore, we should commit our case to Christ. And so... Uh, we'll look at the first two verses, seeing a request for judgment, three to five, looking at a resignation to judgment or submission to judgment, six through 11, uh, the righteousness we need to withstand the judgment, 12 through 16, the repentance we need in judgment, and finally, the last verse, 17, reliance on judgment. Let's pray to our God as we look at these things together. Lord God, you are true. Your word says, though all else were liars, even us. God, as we come to think of who you are and what you would speak to us, we pray that we would be silent. Even when we would say something so different from what you would say, we pray that we would have the wisdom, the humility uh, to know that you alone are God and with you alone are words of life. We pray you would speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we look at the first two verses, we find a request for judgment. And the way I thought of thinking about this uh, is simply, um, what would happen if we didn't take this step with judgment, right? What, what would happen if we, if we didn't even go this far, if we didn't even request judgment at all? And uh, where I'd like to begin, which is where everyone obviously would begin, which is 1996's uh, track from Salt and Peppa, the hip-hop band, uh, called None of Your Business. And that song begins with these lyrics. It says, what's the matter with your life? You gotta go mess with mine. Don't keep sweating what I do because I'm gonna be just fine. And it goes on to list all the debauchery that the uh, speaker is taking part in and then at the end says, you know, who are you to judge me for all of this? Now, there is a no judgment moment that we can have 
with judgment. We, don't, we shouldn't even request judgment, right? We shouldn't, don't even go there, right? Because as soon as we start talking about what's right and what's wrong, we start blaming people, and look, we all got our problems. And with this moment, uh, everything tends to be neutral, and everything tends to be relative, right? It's, a, it's, it's whatever you, works for you, right? This is the you-do-you moment of judgment. Positive thoughts only, right? The judgment-free zone. Don't be judgmental, or now that, that word actually seems to have evolved into judgy, which I like. Don't be judgy. Uh, this is born out of self-esteem, human positivism. We're all actually kind of good, right? So, I mean, why are we going around uh, saying that people are bad? Uh, the song ends, by the way, I actually want to examine it. It ends with a theological claim, and I would like to examine the theology of, of this claim. <laughs> Maybe you weren't expecting to go here, but here we go. The song ends like this. Who are you to judge? That's the moral of the story. There's only one true judge, and that's God. So chill and let my father do his job. Interesting twist. You didn't think that was going to go there, did you? <laughs> well, let, let's take this seriously, okay, right? Because I think there's some legs to what's being said, right? Think about the theology of this. God is the judge, right? He's the judge. We should let God be God. There's something pious, I think, in that. Uh, charity hoping all things for salt and pepper here. But Matthew chapter 7, uh, we find this uh, stated something very similar, right? We find, and this is often quoted, if people don't know any Bible verse at all, they probably know this one, at least in, in this moment, right? Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, does that mean when Jesus says, judge not, that we are no longer to make any assessments of what is right or wrong in the people around us. Well, that would be uh, difficult to understand the last verse that I read where he says, so that you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye, right? There is an idea, certainly, of we ought to be helping uh, one another become more righteous, and that is going to mean saying, hey, friend, I don't think you should be doing this or that. So we at least need to be able to do that much. Now, certainly, I think the vice that's being pointed out is a, real, is a real one and a real danger for us, that we be those who sort of have a sinister delight in judgment. I love pointing out the sins of everybody. I know the repentance that everyone around me needs, but not my own, right? You can definitely get there. You can become obsessive over judgment. You can rush to judgment before you have all the facts. But what this, is call, what this is pointing out is that not that there should be no judgment, no discernment whatsoever from right or wrong, but the principle at, at work, and you see this all throughout the scriptures, is that you have to pass your own judgments. You have to be able to check the box, yeah, I do that, and so now I can help other people with that. Otherwise, right, you're the blind leading the blind. Uh, imagine for a second... Um, somebody, two people came to you and told, told you a story and they said, okay, well, uh, I was standing uh, at a location and I was tackled and held to the ground against my will by this person. It's like, okay, well, that's, 
That's one side of the story. Let's hear the other side. Well, that's all true, but what you neglected to mention is that you were wearing a mask and walked into a bank with a gun and were waving it around, right? That would change things, right? We need to be able to judge right and wrong. We need to be able to say what is right and wrong. I mean, think about it practically for yourself. If you went to the police with a complaint against somebody, say some terrible thing was happening to you, I'll let you fill in the blank, and they said, look, let everyone do everyone, right? Like, why are you imposing your ideas of how your day is supposed to go on this person? They're just doing them. There's no judgment here, right? That would be unacceptable, right? <laughs> if two people come to you and one of them is saying, hey, hey, I need somebody to pay attention to what's going on here, and the other one is saying, uh, nothing to see here, let's all move along, just mind your own business. Which one of them do you think is the guilty one, right? It doesn't take a whole lot of uh, wisdom to see. So we actually need judgment. We need, uh, it's actually, for Christians, it's part of our salvation. We know that God actually justifies us. What does that mean? He's declaring us righteous. He's actually giving a verdict on us. In other words, our salvation is judgment. And we see this here when we read the first two verses of this psalm. I'll read them again. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. This is a psalm of judgment. It starts by saying, save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart. We need someone to step in and say, this is wrong and this is right. And you need to stop, right? We need judgment. We can't get by without it. So, okay, let's say we request judgment, uh, but then there's this, we don't do the second step. We don't resign ourselves in our judgment. This would produce what I call the condemnation moment. Uh, and I think actually this is much more current. This is you know, from 1996, we've updated now to today, a lot of what I think we see is the condemnation moment. In the condemnation moment, nothing is neutral and nothing is relative. There is no gray at all. There is only outrage and offense. And if you don't have those, you're not paying attention, right? This is not you do you, this is how dare you. Uh, this is not positive thoughts, this is word policing. This is criticism, renunciation, rejection, canceling. This is the anti this, anti that, anti everything, right? Uh, moments. And uh, as, even as we have made ourselves judges, although we haven't seemed to recover the word judgment quite yet, we are actually beginning to make ourselves executioners. Uh, as Steve prayed for the political violence in this country, uh, the FBI has a new report which suggests that uh, domestic terrorism now outnumbers foreign terrorism two to one in the United States. To put that in perspective, the people of the United States pose a greater terrorism threat to themselves than Al-Qaeda does. Think about that. There's no resignation. Resignation to what? There's no saying, I am to be judged as well, which is exactly what he does in verses three to five. In fact, he says, I'm not calling on you, God, just because people are hurting me and I want them to go away. I'm, kind of, I'm calling on you to do justice. And if that means I'm wrong, I stand condemned. See in verse three, oh Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there's wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, listen to, listen to this prayer he prays against himself. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. 
how willing and how subject is he to God? He's not the judge, right? He, he wants judgment, but he's not going to be the one to do it. He doesn't appoint himself judge, jury, and executioner, right? He doesn't go off trying to fight this person. He's going to God and saying, God, would you work what is right in this situation? I am very confident. David is very confident that he's right, right? But still he is subject. He is resigned. He's in submission to God in it. David learned how to do this in Psalm 1 Samuel 25 uh, when someone talked him down from the ledge of exacting his own vengeance. And he says, blessed be God and blessed be you for you have shown me not to work salvation with my own hand. Those are his words. He worships the God who says vengeance is mine. It belongs to God to repay, not for us to take vengeance. And if we don't resign ourselves to God, if we don't say he is the judge, we will always be coveting his throne. We will always be putting ourselves there, always tempted to stand in judgment and vengeance over others. We'll become those vindictive, arrogant, imposing people we're trying to avoid by banishing judgment altogether, right? The anger of men will not produce the righteousness of God. So, if we see that we need to be resigned, what next? Well, we need righteousness. If we're gonna say we need judgment, and we're gonna say, I need to meet the test myself, I too am under this judgment, I too am in submission to it. We then need the righteousness to pass that judgment, which brings us to the hopeless moment. Uh, the more righteous, judge the less, right? This is the biblical principle. If you, right, you have to meet your own righteous standard. Uh, we see in Matthew chapter 12, a variety of references to this. So in verse uh, 27, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. That's an interesting statement Jesus made. Somebody else is gonna judge somebody else? I thought God was the judge. Of course he is. But he's saying their sort of standard of righteousness is now going to judge you. And then going on from there, uh, he says the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So all these will rise up in judgment. And then finally we see uh, verse 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, People will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So here we have standards of judgment. The, the more righteous, judging the less. And if we think about it, the two options I've mentioned so far, hiding and blaming, essentially, right? To say, oh, we don't need to worry about judgment, or to say, actually, it's their fault. We've seen these before. And if you remember the story in Genesis 3, when men first fell into sin, that's exactly what he did, that's exactly what they do. First thing he does is he hears the sound of God and goes away. I don't wanna be in the presence of the judge. Get me out of here. We don't need judgment, right? We don't need to think about what's, what rules people were, we're not following around here, let's, let's just get away. 
And then when God calls out to him and he's forced to a judgment, right? He has a long list of people. The woman whom you gave me, right? He has all these people, right, that he blames. And we do these same things today. And the reason is our conscience is guilty. The idea, I think, behind uh, right, this non-judgment attitude, non-judgment moment, we don't need to worry about judgment because when you heap blame on me, it makes me feel bad. The, the only reason it can do that is because it's harmonizing with, with our conscience, right? There's already a voice in our head telling us something's wrong. And then the blaming, right? If I just drown out and divert attention enough to others, can you stand before God in judgment? The judgment day, when I hear all these passages, when I think about it, I kind of imagine this like long line of people, right? And there's like the less righteous over here, the more righteous closer to God. And the less righteous are all pointing at each other and blaming each other, right? And then there's another sort of line, another wave after that that's pointing back at them and saying, well, I, you know, I may be a thief, but at least I didn't hold a gun to anybody. And it's like, well, I'm not even a thief. Well, you did, you know, actually uh, evade your taxes. And so like, this kind of like, there's this degrees, right? Coming all the way back to God's perfect righteousness, all the way to uh, the least righteous. Can you stand in that line and have no one behind you? No one saying, actually, here's where you fell short. The hopeless moment is, I am accused, I am condemned. I'm starting to recognize I do not measure up to the measure I use. If God should mark us iniquities, who would stand? Not me, right? <laughs> that's where, you, that's where the, the hopeless moment is. And that can make us lapse back into the no judgment moment, right? Well, I guess maybe we don't need to worry about it at all then. But the trick is to keep going through it. Now, how did David say what he says here? In Psalm 7, he seems very assured of his righteousness. Arise, O Lord, in your anger, lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me, you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples, judge me. See him beg for judgment. O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me, let the evil and wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts. How searching it is, right? Not just what you did, but the mind and heart as well behind it. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. He's going to protect me because I'm upright in heart. How can he possibly say that? Somehow he can. And that's why he can persist in his judgment. If he couldn't do that, he probably would have fallen away, right? He's somehow convinced, I need to ask God for judgment and help. And when he gets here to mete out what's just, he'll take my side. How can he do that? Uh, there's something else we need. That's 12 through 16, repentance. This is really interesting, even in the midst of this psalm of vindicate me, right? Like, come and mete out judgment to those who are acting unjustly around me. If we don't have this part, we fall into another moment, the proud moment. The proud moment goes, uh, it's, 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 it's righteousness without repentance, let's say. It's, I'm excused, right? 
all, the most important things to follow in the law are the ones that I happen to do, right? <laughs> we find this like perfect silhouette of yourself in the law. Those are the loopholes, exactly me. In Luke 18, there's a perfect description of it. If you're looking for a definition of a Pharisee, by the way, this is the best, I think, that we can find. Uh, it starts with a parable, and it introduces the parable like this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You know the type, right? You know who he's talking about. And this is the parable he tells. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house, justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We don't just need to be right, we need a repentant righteousness. Without that, we're virtue signaling, right? That's the point, if, uh, you know, the righteous, if, if judgment belongs to the righteous, then I'm gonna get more and more judgmental because that will show how righteous I am, right? I'm so angry and that proves that I must be a great person. I'll prove it by treating others with contempt, right? It makes us proud but also delusional because we're not really righteous. <laughs> we're, we're assured of our own righteousness. But once again, we've slid ourselves into the judgment seat. Do you know what repentance is? It's vice signaling. It's saying, this is where I fail. This is where I'm weak. This is where I need change. And don't we know that David knew this? Um, what's really interesting in these, ver in these verses, in the middle of this psalm, clamoring for justice, he says, here's what's gonna become of the wicked, but attached to all of it is a condition. And the condition is if he does not repent. Interesting inclusion there. How come he knows that, how come he is assured of his righteousness because he also knows how to pray against you and you alone if I sinned? I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquities. David's is a repentant righteousness. He didn't get there because he's the best. He got there because he looked at his worst and he gave it to God for forgiveness. So what if we have all this? Are we there yet? I'd say there's just one more thing we need. And it might be the most important of all. We need reliance on God. Not just that our sins are named before God, but that we're trusting him to, to cleanse us from them. Because David also knows how to pray, far as east is from the west, so far does he remove my transgression from me. He knows how to pray Psalm 51, cleanse me and I will be whiter than snow. He trusts a God to do something with his sin. Otherwise, we're insecure. This is the insecure moment, by the way. Am I right? Am I okay? I've repented. Is that enough? Have I done enough? What if I sin again? When I think about this, 
long line of people in judgment, right, all pointing to each other. Do you know what's at the end of that long line? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who says, I have not come to condemn the world. Who says, forgive them, they know not what they do. And all of these claims, right, of, of judgment and accusation. True sins, but these are real Terrible things that ought not to happen, right? There's no sense in here that David's saying, well, it really isn't that bad. It is that bad. He just knows that he's worse. And at the end of the line is Jesus turning to the Father, saying, I refuse to condemn them. And I I almost just imagine someone shouting out, you know what that means, Jesus, right? You're condoning the sins of the world, right? You are taking the responsibility. It's as if you did them yourself. And he says, yes, I take that upon myself. At the cross, Jesus suffered condemnation. He became sin who knew no sin. And then I imagine this ripple effect of forgiveness that goes back down that chain. If Jesus forgives me, maybe I can let this go. Right? Spilling back down. Now, at the end, some won't, some won't accept this, right? People will still be trying to argue their little cases. People will still be uh, in lawsuits, uh, spiritually, I suppose, against one another. But for those who see that and those who rely upon him by faith, there is stamped on your case record, see Jesus in blood, Right? What can we do, what, what can't we do with this, right? We are those who can seek judgment. We don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to go around in this confusion and this haze of nothing really matters. But we're also those who don't stay in the condemnation place either. Because we know that we need righteousness. And we know that our righteousness is not our own. It is from Christ. And so when we, come to, when we come to see sinners, as the song saying, I thought it was so moving, I never noticed it before. Let other sinners see me, right? Like, I've been where you are. You start to relate to the people we accuse a little bit more. You start to see, I am a sinner like you, and Christ took that from me. That's what I want for you. He does not delight in the death of anyone. Rather, he manifests his glory in bringing many of us to righteousness through his son. I'm going to look at Matthew 18 before we close, which tells this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave his debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, 
and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servants, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me? And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Hear that call to forgiveness today, church. We are not those who wander in confusion. We, have, we request, we cry out for justice. We resign ourselves to God. We're subject to it ourselves. We're not judge, he is. We are those who stand righteous to withstand that judgment, only for his righteousness given to us. We are those who have a repentant righteousness, a humble righteousness, we are those who rely in him to expunge our debt completely. Right? Is Jesus, is the blood of Jesus Christ enough for you? If it's enough to forgive your sins, is it enough for your brother? Is it enough? Commit your case to Christ. The blood of Jesus, of Jesus Christ is enough. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray you would give us grace to hear you, grace to follow you. In our flesh, we are weak. With your spirit, there is power. God, make it our aim to act justly, to love kindness, and yet to walk humbly with you. We pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.